Good evening, everyone. Tonight's Bible reading comes from Second Peter, chapter one, verses sixteen through to twenty-one. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of the of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable And you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hi, everyone. I am not Charlie Harrison. You know that. Um, You will be enchanted with Charlie's message shortly. But uh, as with last week, um, you'll know that we've decided as we're going through this series, the pastors will present a little bit of how they individually do Bible study um, to sort of add that to our message about how to study the Bible. Charlie talked about how he did his last week. I'm deeply envious of his highlighter discipline. Um, I am historically not been that good, but I think the next time I start to mark up a Bible, I'm going to try uh, doing mine that way. Um, I've I'm, I'm not a naturally particularly organized person. And so... That's something I have to work on constantly. Um, but as it is, you have to sort of you take the organization you can as you go through. So my Bible study habits have tended to be a little bit more um, frenetic. So normally, when I'm going to study a passage, um, and I'm just mean like a, a normal kind of everyday Bible study as opposed to I'm trying to dissect this and put it together and, um, and make a 40-minute sermon out of it. My, my everyday um, reading habit is I'll do a, a basic clean read through once or twice just to sort of see if anything jumps immediately out upon immediate reading. Usually I use the ESV translation, as I mentioned last week. Um, If anything jumps out immediately as something I don't understand or a word I don't know, uh, then I start pulling in additional tools to help me. Um, And the internet is a fantastic tool of this wonderful modern age. Um, There's a lot of misinformation on there, but if you are studying the Bible and you hit a verse you don't understand... You no longer have to immediately go to, like, you don't have to go to a library and look through a thousand books there, um, although that is certainly something you can do, and I have a whole bunch of books that have helped me in that way. Um, but BibleGateway.com, BibleHub.com, and BibleStudyTools.com, all are fabulous resources. So if you have a, like, if I run into a verse and I go, I feel like there's more to this than I want to know, then I'll punch in John 1.1 or whatever, into this, into, just into Google, and it'll pop up and give me the first few links, and I'll go, great, open that up. Um, all of those have a function where you can look at all parallel translations in English versions, and then you can get like 300 English versions of translating the same verse. And you can scroll through and look at them side by side and go, aha, uh-huh, I thought that word was something weird. Um, if I definitely think there's something weird there, then I might step up a bit more. And this is where you start going off road. If you type in John 1 1 interlinear, um, that'll bring you up a page that's got the Greek 
or the Hebrew and the English text with them side by side. Now that's a little bit wild and crazy. And if you look at that and you go, that's a bit deeper than I'm willing to go just now, that's fine. But if you get curious, you wanna start dabbling and, and looking at that, I totally recommend it. I was doing that long before I went to Bible college. Um, that's a great way to start investigating the scriptures because then you can see, oh, the, the word love is, is translated, is, you know, is in this verse six or seven times, but they use a different word behind that each time. And if you're looking at an interlinear online or if you're looking at a, a, a physical commentary, um, then you can look back and say, oh, what is, what is this translated like usually? You can chase those words um, and see what they're often called. And so that's a, that's a way to sort of dig a little bit deeper at the original text. Um, that's not to say that the English text is insufficient. Uh, God works through it in all our lives constantly. But if you're digging and you're trying to, to match that up together, that's an excellent tool. That also helps if I am reading a verse and I go, that sounds like a verse, but I can't remember the other verse that's from. Just type the bit that you remember into Google. Google will throw the verse back at you. Google is, an, is inadvertently an amazing Bible study tool. They have had no intention to be that, but they are. Um, so you're like, where was the bit where Jesus said, who was that woman who was asking Jesus and he was like the, the dogs, the crumbs of the dogs, that whole thing. You can type in dogs eat the crumbs and it'll go, there you go. Um, you're in Matthew 15. Um, and that's exactly what I do. I kind of go through the, something like the SOAP method, which is like the most simple, uh, excellent, basic Bible study method. That's you read your scripture, you do observation, you think of how this applies to you, and then you pray. Um, my observation tends to have a bunch of extra little like steps in there and things I particularly chew on, but um, to be succinct, the things I think about the most when I'm observing. Um, I go through the, the who, what, when, where, why stuff, um, but usually I focus particularly on the who and the when. Those are the ones most fascinating to me, the one that God makes me chase the most. Um, particularly because your who involved is more complex often than just, oh, there's a character there. It's just about Jesus. Um, so if I'm talking about that, that story in Matthew where Jesus uh, encounters the Canaanite woman and she says, hey, can you please heal my, my demon-possessed daughter? The disciples say to him, eh, make her go away. We don't like this. Tell her to leave. Jesus says, well, I've come for the, to, uh, to preach the, to find Israel's lost sheep. The Canaanite woman says back to him, well, even the dogs eat the scraps that fall off the table. Jesus rewards her. Um, if I'm reading that passage, there's a lot of who involved there. So I'll take note of everyone who is involved with me reading this passage. So I've got, obviously, the Holy Spirit is behind this. I don't I usually write down Holy Spirit because I can sort of know that when I'm reading. Um, Jesus is talking in this, in this chapter. The disciples are present. They're being kind of negative. There's the, the Canaanite woman. This is being written by Matthew. Matthew's probably writing to the Jewish audience that he wants to impact. And then I've got me there as well. And so when I think, okay, who is Jesus talking to here? He's sort of talking to the Canaanite woman. But he's also doing this in response to his disciples being kind of negative about her. And so it's kind of like Jesus is giving them a lesson by talking to her. He's teaching them, hey, don't be so presumptuous about, every, you know, about, about the quality of people and the kind of people I'm here to save. God's grace is actually sufficient for everyone, and he intends to be saving everyone. And so Jesus is not just talking to that woman. He's actually talking to his disciples. And Matthew's not just writing to a Jewish audience. He's writing to anyone who can read. And it's not just intended to be ancient people reading this book. This is actually God talking to me. Um, and keeping mind, mind of all those who connections is really helpful to me. And that helps you figure out the why sometime when you get to interpretation. And the other part of that is the when. And the when's 
wonderfully complex and will remain complex for the rest of your lives as you are reading the Bible. Um, but particularly, I try and pay mind to what I call, uh, what's what I call, what is called progressive revelation. That's this idea that God reveals his plan incrementally, progressively through the Bible. Like, people at the start of the Bible know kind of less about what God is doing than they should by the time you get to the end of it. To all the point where Jesus comes down and reveals it to people and they're shocked. They go, oh, God's been setting this up since Moses and Abraham and he really pulls it all together. But it means if I'm reading a story about uh, someone making a sacrifice, then I don't want to read about Abraham um, offering a sacrifice and then go, oh, okay, he's trying to obey the Mosaic law because Moses hasn't come yet. You know, when Abraham's making a sacrifice, he knows he's making a covenant with God. He's, he's connecting to this God who is connected to him. It's about uni- unity with God, or particularly with his God, as he sees it. And then it's a little bit different um, for Moses. By the time you get to Moses, it's about that redemption of sin and that covenant that God's going to save these people from their sin. And then by the time you get to Jesus, they'd been through this whole period where they didn't have a temple at all. They couldn't sacrifice at all. And they'd come to understand that the sacrifices themselves were more about symbolic obedience than they were specifically about mechanically saving people. And they hadn't learned that ultimately they were actually sacrifices pointing towards the true sacrifice that would save them. And so knowing when things happen in the Bible, having kind of a timeline on your head, you know, Ezekiel's around about there, David is around about sort of 1000 BC, the Exodus happens way before the exile, um, Having some sense of where those are has been very helpful to me, and I kind of, if I, I try to sort of write that down, I remind myself with little notes. Um, and if I get really attached to a to a passage, then I print it out and I scribble all over it because I do not want to deface my Bible in that way because I won't understand what I have written next time I read it. Um, you should definitely write in your Bible if that's helpful to you. I have trouble decoding my own handwriting sometimes and I make a lot of little, like draw little lines, this is connected to this, it's this whole beautiful mind conspiracy theorist like lines all over the place thing. Um, and hopefully over time it'll be more coherent than that. But that's what I got for now. And I can sort of piece it together over time what I meant when I read it initially. But I've got to sort of be free to, to scribble and draw lines and make connections and print things out. So that's kind of a messy free form way to do things. Um, but that's how I engage with scripture. And I recommend that you try as many methods as you need to to find one that you can consistently do. And then do it. All right, that's it. Thanks so much. Thank you. Alrighty, first up, whoever owns the car with registration 601WKM, your interior lights on. If that is a concern for you, feel free to jump up and go and uh, sort that out. And um, then we'll get into the message. Uh, guys. It's your call. I've got a 35-40 minute message here. It's 7.25. Do I do the lot? Okay. No worries. I'll cut one section. I was going to talk about 2 Peter 1, 16 to 21. I'm not going to do that now. I can cut that out. That's not going to have any ill effects. So let's pray and uh, then we'll get into the main part of the message this, this evening. Father God, thank you so much that we can be in this place at this time. We ask, Lord, that you will open our hearts and our minds to hear you. Lord, we want to learn from you. And so, Father, as we move through uh, um, this series on on how to read your word, I I just pray there'll be something that each of us will be able to learn, Lord, and that we'll engage with it, Lord. We'll take things and we'll learn and grow in our faith with you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alrighty, so first and foremost... Really? Really? 
They're all out of order. Oh, it's going to be one of those nights, isn't it? I have no idea what's going on with that, so I'll try and work with it. Okay, so first and foremost, I think the first point was to be, and if you guys can have a look as I say this, um, discern the author's flow of thought. That's one of the first things we have to do when we actually read scripture. We have to discern their flow of thought. And as we move into this, uh, I think to understand it, it's important to um, have an illustration And so the next slide was going to be, give him a hand, just that phrase. Now, if I was just to say, give him a hand, what do you think that would mean? And I don't think you know unless it's in context. Take for arguing's sake, if Pastor Darrell was here tonight and I invited him to the stage and I said, give him a hand. No, 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 that's not what I mean. Sorry, Darrell's a bit wobbly on the steps these days. Can you please give him a hand? Okay. Or it might be someone comes in and he might have been carrying something very heavy. It's like, can you please give him a hand? But actually, what that one's about, one of the jobs, one of the many jobs I had, I used to be a window dresser as well in the retail apparel field, and we used to have mannequins in our front windows. One of the last things you did was put the hand on, so we'd step out of the window, there'd be someone left in, give him a hand, literally. We had to have a hand to finish the mannequin. So if you don't have the context, if you don't have the story behind the phrase, you don't know what it's really about. That's true. So when we come to scripture, we have to make sure that we know the context of what we're doing. Without understanding context, the interpretation and what is being said can easily be wrong. And so we have issues if we force what we want the context to be. You can understand in the scenario I just gave you, if you decided that it was a round of applause, there's going to be problems. You're way out of line. You're way out in left field. And so we should approach scripture with the view of letting it speak to us, as we mentioned in week one. And so the literary context of scripture is the words and paragraphs surrounding the text that we read. You think we're going? We'll see how we go. So in the simplest terms, if we're reading a verse in the Bible, the immediate context may be gained from the verses before and after that verse that we're reading. And sometimes you have to read further than that. Is Matthew 18... Praise God. So, Matthew 18, 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed on heaven. This is one of those verses which has been quoted to me so many times out of context. I've had people come to me and talk about this so many times. And they refer to this as in binding demons. They say this is the passage of scripture which refers to how we pray and we bind demons. You wouldn't believe how many times people have come to that, come to me with that. And so I've said to them, can we just open scripture and have a look at what this actually says? If you've got Matthew 18, 18 open there, what is it? It's talking about discipline. It's talking about the admission or removal of people regarding church membership. It's talking about how we do that. And it's talking about people being gathered. And if they make that decision, then that decision will be blessed by God. It's got nothing to do with demons at all. And there's many, many verses that we could go through and give this illustration. And and I think what we have to do is make sure that we're reading in context. If anyone quotes a verse out of context to you if anyone quotes a single verse it's very important to go back and make sure that what they're telling you is true to the scripture that is there so clearly when we're reading or studying an individual verse we read those surrounding verses to get the context and clarify the true meaning of the verse that we're actually reading 
And so I think it's important that we have a few tips on, on how to do that as well uh, when we're looking at larger chunks of scripture. So first and foremost, it's important to divide the text into sections. And this will typically be paragraphs. And, and what I, I want to give you a word of warning here. When we open our Bibles, we have these wonderful chapters and verses and things like that. It's absolutely brilliant. It helps us look up something very quickly if I want you to. But that's not the way the original text was written. And sometimes these chapters and verses are in the most inconvenient places. I've already mentioned the incredible Bible that you guys gave me. There was something else you gave me when I was ordained as a reverend. Uh, it's this incredible set of Bibles, which are a reader's Bible. There's no chapter or verse in them. And it's really interesting to actually sit down and read the Bible like that. And you have a tendency to actually stop in different places to where these divisions are. And so I want to encourage you to be very, very careful. If you're reading and it seems to flow, don't stop. Keep reading. And so the divisions that you come up with as you study God's word could be very different to what's actually contained in here. And, and so it might be that you've divided it up uh, because of an event that is happening, because of a particular thought that you have as you read, or particular ideas that are being presented in Scripture. And that's okay. So I think it's important for you to do that. So don't be trapped by um, the verses and chapters that we have in Scripture. Um, it's sometimes good to actually ignore that and keep reading. The second thing I think we need to do is to actually summarise each section of Scripture. And, and I'm useless at this. I've always said I'm a very bad student, and, and it's true. I don't know how to summarise. You know, if it's got 500 words in the original bit that I read, I'll write 499 words. Um, I'm terrible. So, but some people can actually do this. They can pull out the main idea. And so that's what you want to do. You, you want to have that main idea and um, anything else, any other main points that are presented, and make a note of those. And then we need to look for connections. This is one of the most important things uh, when it comes to interpreting Scripture. Um, if there's a link to other passages before or after, you know, have a look at those and uh, make a note. It's, it's very beneficial to do that. Now, I want to do an exercise so that um, you can understand what's going on. So please open your Bibles if you've got them to Mark chapter 4. We're going to be looking very, very quickly at chapter 4 and 5 of Mark. And, and we're going to start off... Um, with the storm and we know that Jesus got in the boat and he fell asleep and he was going across the sea and the disciples were there and, and they were afraid and they so they wake up Jesus and they say don't you care Jesus that we are going to die and and, and so they're, they're very fearful and everything like that and Jesus says what's wrong with you guys why do you have such little faith and he tells the storm to be quiet and, and they're even more afraid and then uh, moving on a little bit from that, we get into Mark chapter 5 and this crazy demon-possessed man comes rushing out at Jesus and the disciples. He's naked. No one's been able to restrain them. He kneels in front of Jesus and he says, Jesus, what are you going to do to us? It's not our time, is it? And, you know, just let us go into the pigs, whatever. And, and so there's this power encounter between Jesus and these demons and there's thousands of these demons present. And Jesus deals with the demons and the people come out and they see these things. They see this man who is healed and they're afraid. They're so afraid they tell Jesus to go away from us. Don't, don't have any part with us. Please leave us. And then in Mark 5 also, Jesus is approached by a man who says that his daughter is sick and, uh, and she's dying. And so he says, Jesus, can you please come and, and heal my daughter? I, I want you to come to her. 
And Jesus says, sure. And then as he heads off on the way, there's this woman. And this woman is sick. It says that she has this um, disease. And this disease is a bleeding that she's had for quite a lengthy period of time. And she's um, gone to everyone that she possibly can. She's used up all her worldly wealth. And still, she hasn't been cured. And so she comes along. She's an outcast. She shouldn't even be in that crowd. She should be outside the city limits. She should be crying out, unclean, unclean. And, and she says, if I can only touch his robe. And she touches him. And Jesus says, who touched me? Very bizarre thing for him to say, according to his disciples, because everyone's there. But Jesus knows power has gone from him. And she realizes that he knows. And she becomes afraid. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Then we get back to this girl. The guy who wants his daughter healed. And why Jesus has been interacting with this woman and talking with her, the guy's daughter dies. And so his servants come and say, don't worry, Jesus, anymore. Your daughter is dead. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't be afraid. Have faith. And he comes to the house and he raises the daughter from the dead and she continues on with her life. And all of these stories, if we were just to one of those stories on its own, it's a very, very powerful message. But if we're to look at common threads in all of those stories, and I'm sorry I can't go into more detail so you can see these things, we'll see these things. <laughs> so the first one, okay, is speaking about the storm. And this says that Jesus has power over nature. Okay, so that was in the storm. Then with the demons, we see that Jesus has power over evil. With the disease, with the woman that had the bleed, we see that Jesus has power over sickness. And then with the child at the end who dies while he's traveling there, we see that Jesus has power over death. And when we look at these threads, who has power over nature, evil, sickness, and death? Only God. And so this is a proclamation by Jesus himself in his very act, in what he's actually doing, that he is the true son of God. He is the promised Messiah. And each of these stories, we also notice that tension between faith and fear. So there's this thread throughout scripture and certainly in those passages of scripture where Jesus is the son of God. That's a, that's a definite statement. That's an absolute truth. And please believe scripture is absolute truth. Okay, it's not wishy-washy. It's something you can stand upon and believe. It is an absolute truth. And so we have this absolute truth that Jesus is the Son of God. There is no doubt whatsoever about that. And the other truth that is in this, we will either approach him in faith or we will approach him in fear. And if we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, we will approach him in faith. If we don't know him, the only approach is in fear especially when we recognise on that day that he is who he claimed to be. And so the point is that we have to decide if we're going to respond to him in fear or faith. And that's more than you would have got out of one of those little chunks of scripture. It's the thread that runs through all of those. I think the other thing that we have to do when we look at scripture is we have to study the world behind the text there are phrases or terms that are unique to time and place. And in a way, we speak in code. 
And if I was to say some things to you, you'd say, yeah, of course. Think, for example, of state of origin. We all know what the state of origin is. I don't even follow the football, and I'm sorry that that offends some, but I know what the state of origin is. I know what that's all about. Do you think if we went to China, they'd know what that was about? I don't know if they're going to know what that's about in 50 years or not either, but that's just one of those terms, isn't it? Booze bus. We all know what a booze bus is, don't we? But that's a term. You don't know what a booze bus is. That's a random breath test. So... Yeah, it's not where you go and get drunk on a bus. Okay, sorry, that was possibly a bad one. But there's plenty of people who know what a booze bus is. And there's some people who know, if I said, every good boy deserves fruit, does he really? It's really got nothing to do with that, hey? Who knows every good boy deserves fruit? Yeah. Yeah, see, so... Yeah, we're a little click. These guys don't know. Yeah. So it's a musical term. And again, so we're speaking in this code or language that a few people understand, but it's related to time and community as well. Okay? And so it's unique to certain groups. And that can also be true in history and limited by space geographically as well. And so when we read the Bible, it's actually no different. It was written at a time very different to our own by people who were very different to us. And they had their own customs, their own entertainment, their own stories. And if you were here this morning, you would have heard Pastor Darrell speak a little bit about marriage and how marriage happened in Old Testament times. Very different to where we are today. And so if we're going to understand what was written back there in a much richer way, we have to understand the world that was. We have to understand their customs. We've got to dig into them a little bit. We've got to understand what existed at that time and how they communicated with each other. And so first and foremost, we've got to understand that God's word, this Bible, was his word to them before it became his word to us. It is eternally true. There's no doubt at all about that. But it was very, very relevant to them. So to understand scripture well, we need to close the gap between them and us as much as we can. So how do we do this? One of the resources that we have at our fingertips is Right Now Media. Who's got access to Right Now Media? Who wants access to Right Now Media? Oh, seriously? There's like over 5,000 resources on Right Now Media. It is absolutely fantastic. All of you can have access to that. Just make sure you, each and every one of you who doesn't have access come straight up past Brendan right after the message. Uh, feel free just to jump on him. Stacks on. Okay, but it's absolutely fantastic. And one of the things that's on Right Now Media, which I think will help you, if you're about to do a study of a book in the Bible, there's these. And I think, I think these are brilliant. I used to use these before uh, we had access to Right Now Media. Now, these are by The Bible Project, and uh, it's how to read the Bible. Okay, so it's how to read the Gospel of Mark in this case. And if you look at the heading, it actually says the Gospel according to Mark. I don't expect you to be able to see this, but what actually happens when they do these, uh, there's a guy writing and talking. And he gives a total overview of space and time, where it's all happening, who the author is, why he's writing what he is, how it connects to other passages of scripture and things like that. These are absolutely brilliant. And seriously, most of these go for seven to ten minutes. Brilliant overviews. So I encourage you, if that's one resource you use, just before you start reading a book of the Bible, I'd get into that. Um, Brendan stole my thunder. He seems to know all about um, this electronic resource stuff and this, this uh, thing called Google 
It's, uh, it's absolutely fantastic. If you Google things like life in biblical times uh, or ancient Israel customs, you're going to have a whole heap of things come up. And just as Brendan warned you, I've got a big note here to warn you, not all things you read on the net are actually true. Not all things you read on the net are accurate. So just check those things. Gospel Coalition, you can be pretty safe with those guys. You know, read their stuff. Um, and, and there's many, many others that you can do as well. But uh, it will help you um, to understand some of the customs and things like that. Uh, there's, of course, uh, numerous books available. Um, they're very expensive to get good resources. I told you my favourite, um, this NIV application commentary. Uh, these are over $1,000 to have that collection, but they're very, very good. Um, and if, if you want to use those types of things, there's many of those types of resources available. And obviously, there's also the Bible. And, and I think the Bible should be our primary source. I remember when I was going to Bible college, um, we, we had this um, guy, uh, I think he was Sudanese, and uh, he was struggling with his assignments and things like that. And so the lecturers actually got him a number of commentaries for his assignments, and they gave them to him so he could go home and, and write his assignment. And then he came back the next week, and they said to him, so how did you find that? And he said, oh, the Bible sure did throw some light on those commentaries taught us a thing or two and it's true bible first anything else that's written is supposed to help so i think one of the examples that uh, i use as far as the bible is concerned i have an electronic bible on my computer it's called esword i absolutely love it it's a free resource there's a number of commentaries you can download some very good commentaries for free um, and i use that but if you just went to the bible in that app and, and you typed in say babylon just in the search for um words within scripture uh, it comes up with 288 matches for Babylon in 255 verses. So if you read a verse where Babylon came up and you saw, well, what's Babylon all about? And then you read through all of those, I think you'd have a much broader understanding of Babylon. And you can do that with anything in the Bible. Marriage, uh, a particular name. If you wanted to learn about uh, Melchizedek, you can type that in and you're going to really strike out. But um, this... <laughs> So you'll learn he is mysterious, you know. But I think the thing is, we've got all these tools that we need to start utilising and using. And uh, sometimes information that will be um, helpful to you can be a little more difficult to connect. Um, so, for example, if you're reading 1 and 2 Corinthians, um, you may have no idea or that um, there's a connection back in Acts 18, where Paul actually visits Corinth and he establishes that church. So if you understand that and you understand how Paul established that church back in Acts 18, it sort of changes the perspective about how you look at how Paul's writing those letters in 1 and 2 Corinthians as well. Um, so, and so some of those Bible tools that you can use, um, are Bible dictionaries, Bible commentary series, and uh, Bible study notes. I have a range of them here tonight, um, nowhere near what I've got at home. Uh, my wife is mortified with how much I have. But I, I want you to come up and I want you to read these after the service. Feel free to come and have a look, ask questions about them. Uh, we want you to engage with this and uh, it'd be great if you did. So when reading the Bible, if you want to understand more, you need to identify specific things and research them. So first and foremost, Brenda's touched on a bit of this already too. We need to look at the people and, and who is the author who's he writing to um, who are mentioned in the documents where are they from why are they mentioned and what are they doing and uh, there's, there's one thing I love doing when I read scripture as well I always ask what what's the mob doing 
And it's interesting when you ask that question, you think about the crowd in the background continuously and say, whoa, what are they doing? And uh, there's a number of stories where the mob are doing significant things. So uh, I do like asking that question. So when we're asking those questions, we're, we're asking, is there something we can learn about them that will help us understand why they've been including in this passage and what is being written about them? The next thing is we look at places. So um, just a couple we can think of immediately, Samaria, Canaan, Golgotha, Mount Moriah, the Red Sea. All of these places are significant locations in Scripture. But what do we know about them? What do we know about their inhabitants? Where are they located? Can we pinpoint those if we look at a map? I think it's important for us to know. Events. Uh, as we learned from Pastor Darrell this morning, again, you know, weddings were very, very different in biblical days. What were their funerals like? You know, um, a couple of things that we've heard before is that they hire people just to wail for them. What's that all about? And, and so they're professional mourners. They're, they're, they're hired for that. So what are their feasts, births? What did they celebrate in biblical times? And, and how do they differ from us today? Uh, what are each of these feasts that are mentioned in the Bible and, and what do they represent? Do we understand what all those feasts were? Even when Jesus had the Passover, what was the feast that he was actually celebrating and, and what was represented in all of that? So we also need to look at cultural habits. Uh, what is significant about some of the habits we see in Scripture? So, um, you know, Abraham's servant gives Rebecca the gold nose ring and two gold bracelets weighing, weighing 10 shekels. What's that about? I'm not going to tell you. But, uh, you know, what is community in Scripture? Why do they pour oil over their guests' heads? There's been times I've been tempted to pour some oil over people's heads, but um, I don't think that's what it's for. Uh, and this is something they used to do in Scripture, regularly. What's it all about? I think we need to try and understand some of these customs. And finally, I'm doing all right, actually. We need to read each passage of Scripture in light of Scripture as a whole. It should be a practice that all people who read the Bible ensure they don't read verses in isolation. And to understand any given part of the Bible correctly, we must read it in light of the rest of Scripture. Um, we interpret unclear texts in light of clear texts. You know, there are some texts that are clearer than others. So this is where we get back to subjects when we um, look at a particular subject. So in order to help us and make it easier for us to understand those more difficult texts, we look at those ones that we do understand and see how they relate. We have to be careful not to disregard or ignore difficult texts. Um, sometimes we'll find things that appear to be contradictory. We need to wrestle with that. We need to ask questions to solve that. We need to be able to come up with an answer for, for why Scripture is like that and why it was written. So... Some of the things we can do is ask questions in order to help solve that. What else does the Bible say about this? Uh, there could be a parallel passage, and these are passages that the author refers to sometimes. You'll see this a lot in the New Testament, where Old Testament passages are quoted. So it's important to go back to the Old Testament and say, well, what's, what's actually happening here? What's that all about? Um, and, and going to the Old Testament passage usually helps you understand what's quoted in the New Testament and why it was actually quoted. And the other type of parallel passages are passages that cover the same material or subject. Um, the four Gospels are an obvious standout here. But there's also passages that we can look at with parallel um, topics such as faith, love, repentance, and many other things. So it's important to actually look those things up. Um, so how do we do that? 
you have a number of Bibles that have cross-references cross in the column and things like that, so it'll refer to those, and you can actually go back and look at that. Um, there's concordances that you can look at uh, for individual words, and they'll give you everywhere in the Bible that that particular word is used or listed. Um, there's topical Bibles, which are great. Uh, Naves, which there's down here, is one that is very, very popular, and um, I, I think they're a good thing. And once again... Google. It's, it's very, very good. And uh, again, be careful with some of those results you get. So that's what else does the Bible say about this? Then we need to ask, how do the texts relate to each other? And so the reason why we're asking this is, are they in harmony or are they in tension? Do they appear to contradict each other? Is there a problem that appears to be presented? And think about the whole faith and works discussion. I'm sure if you take some scripture in isolation, it appears to say faith alone, that's all you need, just the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in other sections, it seems to be, well, no, we're saved by works. How's that tension work out? And, and so we need to work through that for ourselves and come up with what we believe scripture is actually saying. How do you resolve that tension? Uh, is it a different perspective on the same truth? Uh, does time, culture or any other influences play a part in the way that that is actually written in, a, in the apparent tension that is there? And obviously we know that um, we are saved by grace, faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ, but an outworking of that belief in the Lord Jesus Christ is how we live. So there is works that occur as well. The third and final question we need to ask is, how does this text point to Jesus? I think this is important because the whole Bible is about Jesus. If we're not looking for Jesus uh, in, the immediate, in, in the original meaning... Um, oh, sorry, we're not looking for Jesus in the original reading, okay? But what we are actually doing is we're reading the text with Jesus in mind, okay? Everything points to Jesus. Think about King David... He's the greatest theocratic king that we actually had. So by saying that, it's a king who rules in the name of God. And supposedly he was the greatest we had. And yet the very best fell short. And so when we compare David to Jesus, we, we, we see that he fell way short. And, and so we know that even though that's the best we have, it indicates just how desperately we need a saviour. And, and that's what looking at scripture in, with Jesus in mind does. The Old Testament sacrifices were given so people could experience forgiveness. And again, they fell short of cleansing us forever. There was no way that that was ever going to happen. And then this perfect sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ came, a man who was without sin, and he paid the price once and for all. There was no need for sacrifices anymore. Those sacrifices pointed to what Jesus was actually going to do on the cross. And then we ask, how response to Jesus is our Lord and Saviour. We read some terrible things in Scripture. Don't shy away from them. God's got them in there for a reason. And I think for me that emphasises that this is God's word because if I wrote it, I'd leave all those bad bits out. I'd want everything to shine. I'd want it to look absolutely fantastic. And I think the terrible things are in Scripture are there to show how much we need a Saviour once more. Many of the weird customs in the Old Testament are illustrations of how we should live separate to the world. You know, this mixing of, you know, you don't cook a, a um, calf in its mother's milk. That was a pagan activity in that day and age. And so, Israel, don't do that. I, I want you to be set apart from those people. I don't want you to do the same things. And so the teaching for us is to be set apart and separate from the rest of the world. Don't comply to what they do. They still do that in Israel, by the way. You can only have coffee in the morning uh, because coffee has milk. You don't get any meat at breakfast. You get wonderful dairy products. And then in the evening when they serve meat, you're not allowed to have coffee. 
It was tough. It was tough. How often do we read the Old Testament prophets and think, wow, how awesome is that? You know what? What those guys did is just an illustration of what God can do when we submit to him. Same Holy Spirit, same power. When we read the Bible well, we see Jesus more clearly. And if we're to live our lives that way, like we're called to, we need to have a clear vision of Jesus. We need to understand Scripture. Our vision and our understanding will become clearer and sharper as we treat all of Scripture as the story of God's great salvation plan, a plan that was ultimately revealed in Christ. Wasn't too bad, eh? Guys, I, I want to pray with you. I, I just love praying with people. And, and I, want you, I want you to come up and I want you to look at these books if that helps you. I want you to ask questions about um, other ways to engage with God's word. Uh, we've still got the box up here where you can ask questions. Thank you so much for those who've put uh, questions in there. We're going we're gonna to answer all of those um, on the last week. But I'd encourage you to do that. Don't leave if you've got a question. Write it down, slot it in the box. We want to answer everything for you. Let's just close in prayer and then I'll hand back to the team. Father God, I thank you so much for your presence with us. I, I thank you, Lord, that you give us your word. And Lord, I, I pray for each one of us that we'll have soft hearts to, to hear your voice as we read scripture. I pray, Lord, that we'll be receptive to, to what you're saying to us. And Lord, I don't want us just to hear your word. I want us to be doers of your word. I want us to be moved to action. And Lord, that's what you gave us your word for. It wasn't just to read and enjoy. It was to call us to a different life. So, Father, I pray that we've been challenged tonight. I know you've challenged me, Lord, and I, I pray that we'll be people who want to put some of this stuff in place. So, Lord, let us honour you with our lives from this day forward. And, Father, if there's anyone who needs prayer, anyone who's got questions to ask, please give them the bravery, the intestinal fortitude to come forward and do that. Uh, we'd love to celebrate with them, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.